I want to turn to just these verses in verse 10 down to verse 15 under the title of his care for his people, God's supreme care for his people. This is a chapter which is instruction to parents. We have parents here tonight, but we have all of us a role to be like parents with children and those under our care spiritually. These parents, as it rehearses in the early verses, they had witnessed remarkable things. And they would not see the promised land. Many of them, that generation, would die out because of sin and disobedience. But they are reminded to hand things down to their children and their grandchildren. Those who were growing up needed to know what they had seen with their own eyes. They were eyewitness to all these events which are recorded. They saw the fiery mountain when God gave the law. They witnessed the Red Sea envelop Pharaoh's army. They heard the Ten Commandments being given and re-given when they were broken. And they could tell of stories of food falling from heaven like manna, and they could tell of water coming out of the rock in the desert. They knew of God's judgments on all the surrounding nations as they were attacked, they were kept. And when the Israelites, their fellow Israelites, strayed into worship of anything other than God, God was displeased. And they saw the judgment and the wrath of God come down. And so this chapter really is a call to this generation to be the best example that they possibly could be to the rising generation. And there's a lesson for us there. We have many children under our care. The way we speak to them within the family, within the church, within Sunday school, are we the best example that we can be? Do we get alongside all the children as much as we can, sit with them, talk to them, understand them? Well, that's the instruction. Be the best example that you can be. In 2 Corinthians 3.3, Paul puts it like this. Tablets written on human hearts. That's what we're to be. Read by the next generation. What a responsibility that is. We have some older folks here. Do you know the wisest and the oldest people have got so much to give? How much we can learn from those who've seen it, done it, and had to learn the hard way very often. But they've also seen and can give testimony to what the Lord has done for them. So this is a simple call, this chapter, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, Words repeated by Christ in each of the four Gospels. And this is the phrase that summarizes what Moses is saying. To love him, to serve him with all your heart. And if we could put it like this. To put God first in everything. Work, home, life, your choices. <coughs> put the Lord first in everything doesn't mean you don't attend to your other responsibilities. No, he 
would have us to do that, to care for others and the family and everything else, but put the Lord first. That's what Moses is saying. But here's the point I want to make tonight. Verse 10. There's a great contrast here between Canaan and Egypt. Now, I have to try and correct some of our thinking. Our wonderful hymns, they take a little bit of poetic license and they talk about crossing the Jordan as the step towards heaven, the, the way through death, and Canaan is heaven. But I don't think that's quite accurate. It's, it's lovely. It's nice imagery. It's not totally wrong. But Canaan has enemies. It's got battles to fight. There won't be any of them in heaven. So the better picture really is Canaan as the Christian life. We were in Egypt. There's that hinterland, that in-between phase. We call it the wilderness. No man's land, if you like. For some, we're in that for a while. We want to have left the world. We want to leave it all behind, but we're not yet stepping into the promised land by faith. So here's the contrast. Let's just look at this carefully. There's some lovely points here. For the land... Whither thou goest in to possess it, it is not as the land of Egypt. What was Egypt like? It was hard. They didn't have rain. The land was only watered by foot. Now, people debate what that means. The end of verse 10, watered by foot. Either the water was carried or with the very ingenious irrigation systems, they had a sort of treadmill where the people put their foot on the mill and it sucked and pumped and the water was put in tanks and the land was irrigated through these channels. Well, either are right. It was hard work. This is a picture of the world without God, without the refreshing rains that come. It was a hard land. The land was dry and arid and the only water was from the Nile. Either side of the Nile it was very prosperous, but elsewhere they had to find ways to get the water from the Nile because there was no rain from above. And so it was just hard work. What a picture of the world. Without God, without prayer, without his word, without the provision, the springs, the rains, the dew falling from heaven, the guidance, the protection, the presence of God, an arid land. The land where you go to possess, it's not like Egypt. Egypt's the world always in the Bible. From whence ye came out. Don't go back to the world. The world is a hard place. You sowed your seed, you watered it with your feet. Well, not literally your feet, but your feet did the work in order to support the crops to enable you to live. Verse 11, but the land where you go to possess, it's a land of hills and valleys that speaks of beauty. or oh, beautiful place compared to the arid desert-like land of Egypt. It was a land watered by the Lord. You see the contrast. A life where day after day, in due season, just when you need it, the rain came from heaven. They didn't have to work to do that. 
No, the Lord gave the rainfall. It watered the land, the hills and the valleys, pushed up the clouds. You know how it works. And the land drank the water of the rain of heaven. A lovely picture for the way the Lord supplies every believer and his church with rains in due season. It goes on, this is a lovely term, which the Lord thy God careth for. Your life, this church, the Christian world, this is where God's special care is. It's not on the Egypt. It's not on the world. The rain falls where the Lord would have it fall. Look what it says. The land which God cares for and the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. He sees everything you do. I hope it's for good and I. But he's always looking, always caring, always providing, always protecting. He wants it to prosper. He wants to protect it and he does. He blesses it with wonderful privileges. And here's the verse which a brother read at our prayer meeting on Monday, from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. Well, it's a promise for the beginning of the year, but what it means is this, in 12 months, there are the seasons. In those parts of the world, you had the early rainfall and you had the latter rainfall. And very often they could have two crops of corn. So they were greatly blessed. No hard work bringing the water in. The Lord would provide from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. What a promise for us. Look back at last year and how the Lord favoured us. We had a wedding here. We had members added. We had new children in Sunday school. We had believers helped through trials. We had visitors that stayed with us. We had families and marriages strengthened. We had so much blessing from the beginning to the end of the year. Why did that happen? Well, because of the mercies of God only. But it came because the Lord thy God cared for this land. And the eyes of the Lord our God were upon us always from the beginning unto the end of the year. Ah. But what's the condition? There's a condition. Verse 13, it's a promise, but it's a conditional promise. It shall come to pass if, if. Just imagine what would happen if we disobeyed. If we took worship lightly. If we stopped praying, the prayer meeting was sparsely attended. Just imagine if we cut corners. No, no. It shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken, listen carefully unto my commandments which I command you this day. You've got to listen first. That's the first thing. Take them in again and again and again. Remind yourself of God's requirements and what he says. And then if we're faithful for the Lord, then we will be fruitful, it says which I command you, then we are to love and to serve with all your heart 
and with all your soul. It's similar to the verses we've been thinking about on Lord's Days. But I want you to turn to Psalm 107, just for a few verses there, to see the contrast. We preached through this whole chapter. There was four beautiful gospel pictures in this chapter. There was the picture of the wanderer that got lost, the prisoner who was trapped, the person who was sick that needed to be healed, and the sailor, all pictures of the unbeliever. And the Lord heard their cry, but here's the relevant part here. Verse 32, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is a church that thanks God and worships him and gathers often. Verse 33, here's his sovereignty. He turneth rivers into a wilderness. Oh, blessing withdrawn. And the water springs into dry ground. Oh, it's hard going now. Gone back to Egypt. Verse 34. A fruitful land like Canaan into barrenness. For the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Oh, that could happen in this church. Within a very short period of time, I hope in Bible studies in the coming weeks and months, God willing, to look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches, how quickly they lost their first love. They became lukewarm. We've had a year of blessing. We don't know how long it will continue. Blessing is not in our hands. Our responsibility is to obey and to be faithful. The fruitfulness is in the Lord's hands. These verses here, they flip both ways. A fruitful land into a barren land, verse 34. And then verse 35, the other way round. He turneth the wilderness into standing water. Just recently, I've seen pictures a brother sent me from here of camels swimming in the desert. Quite remarkable. You don't normally see that. He turns the wilderness into standing water and dry ground into water springs. You see, all the blessing is with the Lord. It's he that does this. But the promise, if we go back to Deuteronomy 11, is if we obey, if we love his commands, if we serve him, if we follow him, if we follow his ways, not inventing new ones, if we stick to the task, hand to the plough, if we're faithful, well, the Lord may continue to bless us. When will he bless us? Well, he's promised in Deuteronomy 11, he says, there will be, verse 14, I will give you the rain of your land in due season. He knows when to bless and when not to, carry seven years, no converts in India. Seven years. How hard that was for him. He knows when to bless in due season, the first rain and the latter rain. He knows whether to bless in January or to keep us praying to December. Or maybe the year after. 
I read a lovely quote today of the encouragement for mothers who pray for their children. And it may be those children are not converted until you've been called home. But be sure those prayers will be answered. The Lord will determine when the harvest can be gathered. But he'll bring the first rain, the latter rain, and the grass in the fields for thy cattle. They won't have to work for that. The Lord provides all these blessings. But it's conditional if, if we obey. Obedience doesn't earn us heaven, no. But in the Christian life in Canaan, the picture of the church and the Christian life, obedience and blessing go hand in hand. The measure, the timing is of the Lord. But our requirement is to be faithful. Verse 16, take heed, be very careful to yourselves. Don't let your heart be deceived. Don't be taken in. Don't think you're powerful. Don't think it's because you're a Sunday, good Sunday school teacher. Don't think that you have some ability. No. And turn aside and serve other gods, including yourself, and worship them. No, trust in the Lord. The Lord will give his blessing in his time, in his way, and in his purpose. And he knows when to bless his people.